0: and Welcome back to The Watchdog's Bark. My name is Drew. I am your host and I consider myself a watchdog. That's right. And this is episode 50. Isn't it nifty? We're on episode 50. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy, but that's me. Okay, this is the episode. This is the one I told you I was going to make. I made the promise on episode 50. I would reveal who I am and where I have come from. So, sit back and relax, because this episode is all about me. No, just kidding. A little bit is going to be about me, but I have to talk about some of the things going on today, too. So, in addition to me telling you who I am, I want to tell you also why climate change is not real. Well, that's not true. The climate changes, but we are nowhere near a climate emergency. All right. And what I believe the number one issue is going to be in the 2024 election. Those are basically the only two things I have to talk about today. Of course, there'll be more because there's all kinds of interesting stuff. So stick around because we're kicking off episode 50 of The Watchdog's Bark. But before I get to my life, I just wanted to acknowledge that this is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. There are three events in my life I can remember in great detail. The Challenger exploding, Princess Diana dying in the car crash, and 9-11. And I, I laugh when people say that January 6th was worse than 9 11. Give me a break. January 6th was a protest that turned into a riot. Some people got injured. One person was shot to death, and that was a Trump supporter. Uh, One woman got trampled, and uh, police officers committed suicide and stuff later. And I think Officer Sicknick had a brain aneurysm the next day. All of those things are horrific. But you're trying to compare it to a day where 2,977 people were killed, 343 first responders. All right? And the long-term toll is even worse. Thousands of people have contracted cancers and abnormalities in, in their bodies from breathing in the toxic fumes and chemicals that were in the billowing clouds as the towers collapsed. So don't ever forget 9-11. Don't ever, ever forget it. And sadly, I don't think the education system is teaching kids about 9-11 anymore, and they really should. That's just my opinion. All right. All right. I have been working for 34 years as a professional actor and singer. I know. Everyone must have gotten the fact that I was a singer when I did, let it go, let it go, you know, when I do that nasal thing. But seriously, I really do sing professionally, and I have been very fortunate to have a very successful stage acting career. I've done mostly musical theater. I've done, I don't know, 34 musicals, four operas, uh, you name it. I've done also some TV and film. I've done a lot of hallmark movies. Um, I recently did a couple of movies. Um, one was called "Sweet Pecan Summer." I have a funny little bit in that. And then I got my first major speaking role in a major motion picture in a movie called "Echo Boomers," that came out 2018, I think it was. But I want to tell you why I'm revealing who I am, number one. Oh and by the way, my full name is Drew Martin. So there you go. Uh, my real name really is Drew, <laughs> but Drew Martin is my name. All right, and the reason why I'm doing this and why I have become so disillusioned with the industry—I think I still love this industry. Don't get me wrong. I have grease paint in my blood. The most memorable and exciting and thrilling moments of my life have come on stage. I absolutely love. perform. Uh, It brings me more joy than anything else I found in my life. And I have been very fortunate to perform on stages all over the country. I've done two Broadway national tours. I've done regional productions all over the country. I've lived all over the country because, you know, as other actors, we are all gypsies and we will go where the work is. All of this started Back in 1989, I think it is. Yeah. 1989, I did my first professional production. It was Annie and I was Daddy Warbucks. And yes, I did shave my head, bald as a cue ball for three months and uh, had an absolute blast. And it was that production where the grease paint got in my blood, so to speak. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that means you can't do anything else with your life. It becomes your number one focus and it becomes something you become addicted to. And I can remember the exact moment. I was just finishing NYC and I had Annie in my arms and it, the, you know, the end of the song, give in, don't fight, good girl, good night, sleep tight in NYC. And the spotlight faded and the audience started applauding and I floated off stage. That's how excited I was to be doing that. And I was like, I got off into the wings and I said, I'm doing this the rest of my life. Well, that has changed because the industry is no longer the industry it was when I first got in. When I first got in the industry, it really was an industry of tolerance. It really was an industry of diversity and inclusion. Today, the industry, and I'm speaking about the entertainment industry, and that includes all aspects of entertainment. The entertainment industry claims to be an industry that is DEI, all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I've had to keep my mouth shut for 33 years, backstage, in dressing rooms, on tour buses, because my opinions are not accepted. My opinions are not allowed. This industry that claims to be an industry of tolerance is completely intolerance of a diversity of thought. They will only accept the groupthink. And this industry that claims to be the industry of inclusion, well, they're all about diversity of skin color, sexuality, gender identity, anything like that. They're all about including all of these people. But they are not about diversity of thought, nor do they include people that think differently. And I would say the same thing about the Democratic Party. I've watched closely, and and of course, the Democratic Party dominates the entertainment industry. And there is one opinion that is allowed, and all the other opinions are not. That's just a fact about this industry. And also, if you look at people that claim in the industry that they are being about diversity, equity, and inclusion, just look at the way they treat conservative black people. That's really all you need to look at in order to see how intolerant they really are. Clarence Thomas, you know, um, Larry Elder, Candace Owens, and I could name at least 10 to 15 others. Look at the way the left treats them. Just look. They celebrated that Ketanji Brown Jackson was the first black member of the Supreme Court, completely ignoring the fact that Clarence Thomas has been there for years. And look at the way Clarence Thomas was treated in his hearing for confirmation. Kind of the same way that Brett Kavanaugh was treated. Kind of the same way that, uh, you know, all the conservative justices that are trying to get on the Supreme Court are treated especially the way black conservatives are treated. They're called ignorant. They're called Uncle Toms. They're called props. (laughs) It's just so obvious to me how much the Democratic Party has used people of color for their votes. They promise all kinds of amazing things every election to help people of color, and then they don't do them. And the people of color keep voting for them. That's what I just can't understand. Honestly. But to go back to the industry, the one time that really stood out in my mind was it was either the 2017 or 2018 Tony Awards. And Robert De Niro, a man who I used to really admire and want to be like and have that kind of a career, he was tasked with the responsibility of introducing the boss. Introducing Bruce Springsteen's new musical that was going to be opening on Broadway. And instead of just getting up and having the spotlight on Bruce Springsteen and his new show, Robert De Niro turned the spotlight on himself. And he stood at a microphone in front of an auditorium theater filled with industry professionals. And he said this, F Trump. Not only down with Trump but F Trump. And that alone, I looked at, I was like, that is just nuts. But then something insane happened. The entire theater, not one person was left out. The entire theater filled with people I admired and wanted to be like and wanted to emulate on Broadway. Some of the biggest Broadway and Hollywood stars that exist were in that theater. Every single person in that entire theater gave Robert De Niro a minutes-long standing ovation. For turning the spotlight on himself, not doing what he was tasked to do, and that is to introduce Bruce Springsteen's new musical, he turned the focus on him and said, F Trump, not only down with Trump, but F Trump, And when I watched that entire theater stand in unison and give him a minutes-long standing ovation, I knew at that point I would never be accepted for who I really was. My heart dropped into my stomach. And it was at that point I started to look at this industry differently. I started to realize how intolerant this business is. Now, don't get me wrong. I have some amazing friends. In this industry, that I have met performing with, that touring with, uh, you know, that I've auditioned for, some agents, casting directors. My agent is amazing. All the people that I've met in this industry, I love and really, really appreciate and cherish their friendships. But in 2016 and 2020, when I voted for Donald Trump, I had people unfriend and block me from all social media. These are people that I have performed with. These are people that I lived with. These are people that I toured with, spent hours on tour buses. I can no longer find them on social media because they blocked me. They not only unfriended, but they blocked me. I would never do that. There is only one person that I have blocked on social media. And that is a person that started to attack me nonstop on social media. And we had done five shows together. I greatly admired this person and really appreciated our friendship. When he started attacking me, it hurt. And I don't, I didn't understand why. Uh, Everything was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You're a Trump voter. Oh, well, that makes sense. You're a Trump voter. Oh, well that, and finally I unfriended him. And then he tried to call me. And I did not pick up the phone. And then he would look for posts that I would be commenting on. Not on our posts from between us, but other posts or other comments I would make on other people's posts. And if we were mutual friends, he would attack me. So I finally had to block him. And like I said, I've done five shows with this person and really miss his friendship. I really do. I miss the people that have unfriended and blocked me. My heart was really broken. My mother's heart was broken with one of them. Uh, One of them I was roommates with in college and in different areas that I have lived and worked in. We have been friends for very, very long. I was the best man at his wedding, and I can't find him on social media anymore. That should give you an idea of how intolerant the left is and how intolerant this industry is. You'll notice that the conservatives in this industry keep their mouths shut. They have to. If they want to work, they keep their mouths shut. Well, as you know, I'm doing this podcast now. I'm not keeping my mouth shut anymore. I'm going to let the chips fall where they may with this uh, information that I'm giving you. So there you go. There's the scoop about me. I uh, am very grateful for the career I've had. But... I've had to find something else to make money. Also, another thing that has really dramatically changed about this industry is it does not pay anymore. It doesn't pay anything close to a livable salary uh, unless you're at the top of the game. If you're on top of Broadway or on top of Hollywood, then you're making all the money. All the peons and the extras and the chorus and all that, they're not making enough money to live on. They're not. I've had to have survival jobs all my life. And the, the great thing about the survival jobs is they've mostly been sales and customer service jobs. So I have a lot of experience and that was allowed me to get the job that I have now. I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is. I'm selling a big ticket item. That's basically what I'm going to say I'm selling big ticket items. So there's a lot of money to be made. Uh, it's like drinking through a fire hose uh, right now because I'm learning all of the information about the industry and about the products I'm going to be selling. So I'm looking forward to kind of disconnecting from the industry for a while. Uh, I don't know exactly where when I'm going to return. I absolutely do hope to return, uh, but it'll be on my terms this time. It won't be on anybody else's terms. It'll be when I have enough money in the bank where I don't care about being paid for jobs I don't I'm not desperate to try and get cast in shows to make money to pay rent. That's how I'll return to this industry. Okay, the other thing that I said that really has changed in this industry is the pay. Let me give you an example. Back in 1993, I did a commercial for Nintendo. Uh, Who's Kirby? I believe it was. And I was one of the principals. I got paid a lot of money, like $25,000, $30,000 for doing that commercial. Recently, I told you I got my debut My motion picture debut speaking role in a movie, Echo Boomers. And I did a scene with Patrick Schwarzenegger and Giles Jury. And for those of you who don't know who that is, Giles Jury was in uh, The Island. And of course, Schwarzenegger is Arnold's son. So I did a scene with them, spent an entire day shooting. And I can't even tell you what I made because it's so ridiculous. I made a couple hundred bucks total. That's it. That is the total pay for a speaking role now in a major motion picture. Back in, in the 90s and stuff, we were all trying to get, you know, speaking roles in major motion pictures because it was like $50,000 at that time. That was the minimum. It was like 50 grand to get your first speaking role. And, uh, you know, anytime you had a line, it jumped way in pay. You know, of course, they still paid uh, extras and, and background, you know, cheaply, even back then. And that has never increased. But it used to pay to finally get make your debut in a major motion picture. Now, it just doesn't. So there's no pay, and my opinion is not allowed in the industry. Uh, The only way I was able to get work for so long is I kept my mouth shut for 33 years. I ask you, would you like working in an industry where you had to keep your mouth shut? Everyone else, everyone else is allowed to spout their opinions nonstop. And talk about how horrible this person is on the on the uh, conservative person, how horrible this conservative person is, how horrible Trump is, you know, how horrible all these uh, people on the right are. And if you want to stay working in this industry and you disagree with them, you keep your mouth shut. And by the way, that is my advice to anyone that wants to get in this industry. It's a great industry. It's a tough industry. Get used to rejection, you know. A really successful actor will get one role for every 10 they audition for. That's, that's just the, the, a good acceptance rate. Uh, there's been times when I've gone 30, 40 uh, auditions until I got a role. And that's just how the industry is. But to my conservative friends that want to try and make a mark in this industry and try to be successful in this in this industry my advice to you find something else if you have a passion for anything else but if you are like me and got grease paint in your blood and can't think of doing anything else and dream about being an actor or an actress keep your mouth shut sadly that is the advice i have if you want to be successful in this industry this industry will eat you up and spit you out if you dare to speak an opposing opinion i actually had a casting director in new york that found out i was a conservative and they i won't even give you the the sex you know the gender of the person because i don't want to even start narrowing down who people might think it is they told me in an audition they would never cast me because i was a conservative that's how intolerant this industry is. And dadgummit, <laughs> I still love it. I still love this industry. I still hope that I'll be able to make some kind of career uh, after I retire and maybe just do community theater for fun. That just might be what I, I am uh, relegated to do. And that's fine because the money wasn't why I got in this industry. I got in this industry because I have a passion for performing. I have a passion for storytelling. I have a passion for taking on characters that are challenging and accents and mannerisms and learning gates. Uh, that's, you know, walk speed and tones, you know, it, it. all of that stuff was just fascinating to me to be able to build characters. And I love and appreciate everyone in my life that's ever been a part of that part of my life that I've worked with, that has taught me all of my teachers in school and the university. I just I have so much love and respect for the people that have built me to what I, wa- what I became in this industry. And I was really close to Broadway. Honestly, I was getting called back for big Broadway shows. But in 2017, I had a phone call with my parents, and I knew my father wasn't doing well. I could tell he was weak. So I had my father give my mother the phone. And I said, hey, dad, give, me, give the phone to mom. And when mom got the phone, I told her, mom, I'm moving home. And she, she's like, what? No, no, you don't have to. I said, mom, dad's not doing well. I can tell. So I'm moving home to take care of you. So I left New York City like the next week and moved back home to take care of my parents. And I'm so grateful I did because I got to spend the last 15 months with my father before he passed away in 2018. I had just finished a production of Newsies here in Utah, and I went down to Las Vegas to visit some friends. And I was planning on spending five days about, and two days after I got down there, my mother called and said, we're in the hospital, your dad's had a massive heart attack, it doesn't look good. And then 45 minutes later, called and said he's gone. So I'm grateful that my father got to see me in Newsies. It was a wonderful production that was the last production he got to see me in. And I'm very, very grateful that my parents have been so supportive. My mother will always be my number one fan. She has never, ever failed in that position. She, she is 100% accepting of me, and I love her to the ends of the earth for that. I'm so grateful for the love and support of my friends. And I have, uh, or my family, and I have wonderfully supportive friends. So, to the 20 or so that unfriended and blocked me, I don't understand it. You broke my heart. But you did that, not me. I would never unfriend anyone for having a difference of opinions. As a matter of fact, some of my closest friends outside of my two or three very best friends are people that do not share my political beliefs, but our, we are able to talk civilly about our differences. And I relish those friendships. I relish people that have differences of opinions that can still talk rationally and civilly to people they disagree with. That is something that is, we have lost in this country. I believe it's starting to come back. I see little slivers of hope of people able to talk to each other that disagree. But there was a time when I was just flabbergasted by how many of my Democrat and liberal friends unfriended and blocked their friends and family, family. And yes, I, I do have some members of my family that will not talk to me anymore. So, you know, it, I don't get, honestly, how people can get to the point where they are so insecure and intolerant They can't bear to be around people that disagree with them. That's where we've gotten today, people. Think about that. That's where we've gotten today. How do we get that? How do we get that back? How do we get back civil conversation? I ask you. That's the question for this podcast. If you have any answers or if you have any comments about what I've just told you about me, don't hesitate to write drew at the watchdogsbark.com. Moving on. I believe that the pivotal issue in 2024 is going to be illegal immigration. It is getting out of control in this country. And like I've said in previous podcasts, this administration wants all of these illegal immigrants and not because they're being compassionate To the illegal immigrants. It's because illegal immigrants are helping them accomplish one of their goals, and that is democratic control of our government. And no, not democracy, democratic control. Whenever a Democrat says that we're defending democracy or this is a threat against democracy or whatever, I have said this in other podcasts and I'm going to say it again. What they mean by that is they want total. Democrat control. And if you don't see this, then explain to me why Democrats want to abolish the Electoral College. That would basically negate the votes of any states that have small populations. You may as well not even vote. It'll come down to California, New York, and a couple of other states. That will literally determine the outcome of every single election if we get rid of the Electoral College. How wise was Alexander Hamilton to come up with the Electoral College that gave every state representation in the election? Also, Democrats want to abolish the filibuster. Why do they want to do that? Well, they don't want to have 60 votes to pass amendments or to pass laws. They want to do it with a simple majority. Now, why would that be? They don't want any cooperation from the other side. Another thing is Democrats want to pack the Supreme Court. Right now, the Supreme Court is 6-3 conservative majority, and it drives Democrats crazy. They cannot stand the fact that conservatives control the high court. But they were fine with them when they had the majority, and it was only 5-4 most of the time, but they still had the majority. And they passed a lot of laws that should not have been passed. Roe v. Wade being one of them. Okay, And then Democrats want to make D.C. and Puerto Rico 51 and 52 states. Now why would they want that? Now Democrats control like 98% of the people that live in Washington, D.C. are Democrats. So that would guarantee two more Democratic senators. And Puerto Rico, they're kind of split. They're mostly Democrat, but there are some Republican aspects and, and uh, neighborhoods or, or people on Puerto Rico. So I believe there's a possibility it could be two more Democrat senators or it could be one Democrat and one Republican. But either way, that would give Democrats a, very, a much larger majority in the Senate. And that would allow them to find out just a few votes rather than having to find 10 Republicans to go along with them to pass you know, major legislation that takes 60 votes. Uh, or unless we abolish the filibuster, then they only need a majority. And if they get the majority in the Senate, they can railroad every piece of legislature they want through the government. You don't hear Republicans talking about wanting to get rid of things that would give them the majority, to make things more difficult for the other side, to get rid of the filibuster, to, uh, you know, make the electoral college even more stringent. I mean, there, there's no calls for Republicans asking for ways to make the government Republican controlled. There's just not. So which party is it that's the tolerant party again? Yeah, I didn't think so. And illegal immigration really is going to be the pivotal issue in 2024. Uh, When Governor Abbott of Texas started busing illegal immigrants to D.C., Chicago, and New York, it started to expose the problem nationwide. As a matter of fact, things are getting so bad in New York City. Listen to what Eric Adams said is going to happen because of illegal immigrants.
1: Let me tell you something, New Yorkers. The migrant crisis taking on a new tone. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. Hundred and ten thousand migrants. We have to feed, clothes, house, educate the t- children wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care, month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. But we're here.
0: Quite a bit different than the tone Eric Adams took when they started first busing immigrants to New York City. Listen to what he said back then.
1: Lady Liberty sits in our harbor. New York City is the welcoming mat. For the entire globe.
0: And here's Eric Adams again, when faced with reality.
1: We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we're in Ecuador. Now we get Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we get uh, Western Africa. Now we get people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City.
0: My, 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 how the tone has changed. He even said it in both clips that I played how we're getting migrants from all over the world. And then the previous part, we welcome migrants from all over the world. Yeah, reality sets in once you realize it's not just people from South America coming uh, through our sort and Central America coming through our southern border. It's 140 countries worldwide, and people are not. I mean, there are some good people coming. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to leave things open to misinterpretation, like the left loves to do with conservative speakers, just what they did with Donald Trump when he said. Uh, That The left says that Donald Trump said they are rapists, they are murderers coming across our southern border. And that's not what he said at all. If you go back and listen to the actual speech, he said there are, and that is true, there are murderers and child molesters and rapists and really bad people coming across our southern border. As a matter of fact, there are some countries emptying their prisons and insane asylums and paying their way, and shipping them to our southern border. So we're not getting the best of the best. We're getting some good intentioned people that want to come here for a better life. But when you look at the geographics of the people that are now coming across, it's mostly young men from all over the globe. Young military age men. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So Mayor Adams, welcome to the party. Now you know what the southern states feel like all the time over the past decade or more. That is what the southern states have been experiencing day in and day out. Welcome. Figure it out. That's what you force them to do when you want them, meaning the southern state governors and leaders, to have to deal with all the uh, illegal immigration. You don't want it to come to New York City, but now that it's there, you got to figure it out. I would suggest not allowing people to stay in $500 a night hotel rooms and feeding them and offering them free medicine and free food stamps and all that. The more incentives you offer to people around the world to come to America and have everything paid for, the more illegal immigration we are going to have. We set a record last month. 91,000 illegal immigrants who were part of families came across the southern border. Last month was actually the first month families surpassed single men. So that, I guess, is a good thing. But We are breaking records all over the place, Joe Biden. You are just breaking records. Holy cow. Unfortunately for you, these are not the kind of records you want to break. Like highest inflation, highest cost of fuel, highest amount of illegal immigrants, highest dependency on other countries for our energy. You know, gosh, we're just racking up those records. Way to go, Joe. Now, Joe Biden was recently in Vietnam, or actually he's in Vietnam right now, hasn't come back yet, but he spoke, I believe it was either earlier today or yesterday, about the real dangers that we as a world community are facing. And it's not nuclear war. It's not China. It's not AI. No, it's climate change. And he actually referred to John Kerry saying, he's John Kerry's forgotten more than uh, anybody else has uh, learned on this. So correct me if I'm wrong, John. Yeah, well, let me correct you, Joe. You're wrong. We are not in a climate crisis at all. Let me read to you what has happened over the last 10,000 years and where we are actually are. You see, when people say, The warmest summer in recorded history. Pay attention to the word recorded (laughs) because people have only been recording surface temperatures of the Earth for 40 years. 1979 was when that started. But if you go back to ice core samples from the North Pole and from Antarctica, it tells a very different story. But keep in mind, you cannot monetize. Anything outside of the Earth's atmosphere. And remember this the people screaming the loudest about climate change have something to gain from that change, whether it be control, or money, or power, or all three. So if we go by ice core samples and go back 10,000 years, we find out that about 6,200 years before Christ, during the Holocene Optimum, The temperature was almost three degrees Celsius higher than it is right now. Then again, in the 5100s before Christ, it was again that high. And as a matter of fact, the temperature has remained high until about the 1200s after death, AD. All right. And so we know that one, two, three, four, five other times. In world history, the Earth's surface temperature has been hotter. And in fact, 81.3% of observations in the past 9,500 years are higher than the most recent temperature reading. Even in the medieval times, it was almost a full degree warmer than it is right now. Do you know what's changed The earth has changed, climate change, absolutely. But do you know what's really changed? Money. People can make money now from scaring people into believing the earth is going to end if we don't go to all renewable energy. That is a complete fallacy, 100% fallacy. Right now, we are three degrees colder than the warmest temperatures in world history three degrees colder. Do you remember, there were headlines that said that we were looking forward to the next ice age in the 1970s because it was cooling off so quickly. And here's something you need to know. More people have died under extreme cold than extreme heat. In fact, when it's hotter by a couple of degrees, People flourish, animals flourish, panda bears, polar bears, all the populations of these animals grow when it's warmer. Why? Gosh, I don't know about you, but I don't like having sex when it's super cold. So there you go. (laughs) That puts it into basic terms for you. But just know, people, right now, we are not in the middle of a climate crisis. We are in the middle of an information and disinformation crisis. The media and social media are all controlled by one party. And I hear people talk about how the Amazon Rainforest is getting destroyed. Well, here's a funny fact about the Amazon Rainforest. I was listening to Joe Rogan uh, recently, and he said this, I didn't know this, but this is actually true. The Amazon rainforest used to be thriving with cities. And they found that out very recently because of something called LIDAR. And LIDAR is this thing where they fly over the jungle and they see irrigation. They see grids that matched out cities. They think the Europeans came through and killed everybody with smallpox. And then the jungle just took over itself. You want to really freak out? That's a man-made rainforest.
1: Most of what the Amazon is from is from early agriculture yeah. that just
0: got out of control. After the people were dead. Can you believe that? The Amazon rainforest is a man made rainforest. And what happened is the agriculture that the civilizations were growing before they were all killed off just took over the entire jungle. That is what the Amazon jungle is. Just think about that. That just blows my mind and should help you understand how sustainable this earth is by itself (laughs) this earth has been around 4.3 billion years something like that and it'll be around at least a billion more and we are just a blip on the screen for the earth and there's no way we could kill this planet just it's not possible just not possible we could have nuclear holocaust worldwide and the planet would survive We wouldn't survive. Well, there'd be some people survived, the ones that went into their bunkers or, you know, prepared or weren't in the part of the the world that were destroyed by nuclear uh, fallout. But we are in no danger of destroying the planet with climate change. Zero. Let me be very, very clear. Zero. Zilch. Nada. We have no threat of the Earth getting so warm that we all die. That is never going to happen. Because all of the models that take measurements exclude certain things, like exclude volcano eruptions and exclude tectonic plates moving and causing earthquakes and sandstorms, massive, massive. All these things are not calculated when they're determining the total surface temperature of the planet. So don't be fooled by those that want money and power and control, by getting you to be afraid of what used to be global warming and then global cooling or vice versa, and then it's climate change. And I told you why they did that. They chose the words climate change because all they have to do is blame climate change. If it gets warmer, climate change. If it's colder, climate change. If it snows too much, climate change. If it doesn't snow at all, climate change. If we have severe hurricanes, climate change. If we have hardly any hurricanes, climate change. If we have massive amounts of tornadoes, climate change. If we have hardly any tornadoes, climate change. If we have droughts, climate change. If we have floods, climate change. Stop listening to the talking heads that are trying to scare you into giving them power and control. And just keep this in mind, and this should put it into perspective, and I've used this example before, but it bears repeating. All that happened in World War II and in Germany didn't start with gas chambers. Mm -mm. It started with one party controlling the media, one party controlling the message, one party deciding what is truth, one party censoring speech and controlling the opposition, one party dividing citizens into us versus them, skin color, sexuality, gender, and one party calling on their supporters to harass the other party. It started when good people turned a blind eye and let it happen. My friends, it's time to start speaking out. I'm telling all of my conservative friends and Republican friends and people even in the middle that are watching this happen to our country. Start getting involved. Start doing what you can. Contact your representatives and let them know how you feel. Write emails. Uh, You know, get involved. I'm trying to get involved with this podcast. And like I said, if this podcast really doesn't take off, I may consider running for office. But it's going to be years from now because with this new job, I am going to focus on that for enough time to give me the comfortable retirement that I really need. But just keep that in mind, people. What happened at Auschwitz and in Germany didn't start with the most severe. It didn't start starvation. It didn't start with the gas chambers. It started with one party taking control and the other party remaining silent. And that can never happen again the reason why they don't want you to remember this they don't want they want to try and whitewash and erase history is they don't want you to see it happening again because it is let me give you an example of what i mean about one party taking control we have as i've said in other podcasts but i'll say it again and especially what happened recently we have a two-tiered justice system all right one man was sentenced to five years for murdering an 18-year-old for the sole reason that the teen was Republican. This person ran over a Republican because they were a Republican. That is it. But the leader of the Proud Boys wasn't even in D.C. at the time of the January 6th protest-slash-riot. Wasn't even a part of the violence or the attacks on the police, or the destruction in the Capitol, because he wasn't even there. He was sentenced to 22 years. Think about that. One man murdered someone, ran over them with their car because they were a Republican. Another man, because he's the head of an organization that many attended this January 6th riot, he was blamed for it and treated like he had murdered people. 22 years. That just should explain very clearly how bad the justice system is here and and how slanted and two-tiered it is in this country. All right? Okay, that's about enough of that. Uh, There's one other thing I wanted to mention just to let you guys know, and uh, watch this very closely because this is what's going to happen in these court cases against Trump. If... He gets fair trials. We are basically going to be able to excuse everything Donald Trump did because of his right to free speech and his right uh, to presidential rec- from the Presidential Records Act. Pretty much everything. And just keep in mind, okay, everything, everything Donald Trump did after the 2020 election is legal. And in fact, Al Gore did the exact same things after the 2000 election questioning an election is not a crime but the left wants to make it a crime why would they want to make questioning elections a crime huh kind of think maybe it might be because they don't want to know people are rigging elections and yes i do still believe that is what happened in 2020. Just for the simple fact that the FBI, CIA, DOJ, media, social media, corporate America, everyone put their thumb on the scale for Joe Biden. There was not a fair election in 2020. And again, that is all my opinion. If you agree or disagree, don't hesitate to write me, Drew, at thewatchdogsbark.com. And as I always like to do, I want to end on a positive note. All right, this is one of my favorite quotes from Winston Churchill, and I love studying Winston Churchill. He was an amazing man. Uh, This is one of my favorites. When you're 20, you care about what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everyone thinks. When you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something, sometime in your life. So what does he mean by this? When you're young, live your life, have fun, don't care, have fun, literally. And when you get to your forties, you know, maybe fifties, it was for me, when I, when I started turning fifties, I stopped caring what other people thought. And I'm about to hit sixties. So I kind of realize now <laughs> that a lot of people weren't thinking about me in the first place. And yes, I definitely have enemies, and uh, I'm actually glad, because that means I've stood for something. And I hope that you understand in this podcast, I'm trying to stand for something. I'm trying to stand for what is right. I'm trying to stand for what is just. That is really the whole goal of my podcast, is to expose those who are trying to take away your rights, our rights. Expose those who are trying to use fear to gain control and power. So just look at your life and understand, you got a long time to work things out. Don't let little things get to you, especially when you're young, just kind of have fun, man, seriously, have fun. And when you get to 30s and 40s, you know, and you start getting responsible and starting families and stuff, you stop caring about that because your focus changes. You're changed from focusing on yourself To focusing on others. That's where that real change comes from. And then when you're 60, you get really wise. You get wise as to what is really going on, those that were really supporting you, those that were not. And you realize, especially at my age, coming up on 60, you don't care that you have enemies because enemies are people who just disagree with you on many things. That's basically what. And what, what defines an enemy now? And that's the sad thing, is we've actually gotten to the point where when we disagree, we become enemies. Well, a lot of people apparently disagree with me because, you know, I lost a lot of friends, like I said in the early part of this podcast. But I do not think that it's a bad thing that I have enemies. I think it's a good thing because I've stood up for something. I'm trying to stand up for what's right. I hope you will join me and do the same. And basically, that brings us to the end of another podcast. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, create an amazing day. And please, help me relay the bark.